I was praying this morning, unrelated to the message, possibly, but I had the sense that the Lord really wanted to call people back, and maybe you already felt that tug this morning, even in worship and stuff, into the childlikeness of their faith, and um, to really restore people's imaginations and their inspiration, um, the sense of wonder that it really is to, to meet with him, to talk with him, to live life with him, the sense of purpose and destiny that he has for you. And um, I also felt like that maybe even he wants to address things in, in people's hearts and in their, and in their lives, um, maybe concerning disappointments or fail, failures or of the past, parentheses, failures, you know, um, um, perceived failures, because he wants to bring perspective in a way that, that rids people, rids his people of cynicism and hopelessness. So they're free to walk in that level of faith and that childlike expectancy that he's called us all to because this walk is so profoundly supernatural and mystical. And there's no ceiling on this thing. You know what I mean? Um, there's, no, there's, there's no cap to it. There's a scripture that I felt even during worship for people, just as a reminder, not part of the message, maybe I'll cut it off, um, but Second Peter 3.8 that says, Beloved, do not overlook this fact that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And there's a lot of schools of thought on what that means, but one of them, which is to me pretty obvious, is time is nothing to Him. You know what I mean? And he's talking about the promises of God and specific ones, but just the promises of God. And, and, and sometimes I think people get to the place in life where we feel like we've missed something and we'll never get it back, right? Or there's disappointment that comes in. And in reality, to God, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. He could do something. I thought it was kind of dark in here. Yeah, the lights aren't turned on, these little, these little bulbs. You notice that? Oh, uh, yeah. But anyways, he could do something in a day that we would think would take a thousand years. And so much about this Christian life is really about being in alignment with Him. And that's the beauty of what repentance even is, like a mind change of stepping back into alignment with God can set us on a path that maybe we even felt like we missed. And it can happen quicker than, 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 we, than we even consider because we limit things with our mind. But, um, you know... We talk a lot about, you know, I think about John the Baptist, this guy wearing an animal hair garment, leather belt, you know, allegedly potentially having dreadlocks down all the way his back, you know, coming out, baptizing people, doing something that no one's ever seen. And he's, and he's, and he's using this prophetic utterance from Isaiah that, that, that literally says, in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. Make way in the wilderness, a way for the Lord. And, and it's like this, this, what people thought was this crazy man, goes out there and on the other side of the track, so to speak, right? And in his, and in his mind, his job that he's been given is to make room, to make a highway in the, in the desert, make a, make a way in the wilderness, to, make, to create space because God, the Lord, is showing up. Which sounds crazy, you know, beautiful temples inside, in the city, you know, all these different things. But guess who shows up? The one, you know what I mean? 
the, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, God himself, and the embodiment of Yahweh shows up. And, and there's something we've been kind of on this track for a while now too, considering through the scriptures all these different people that are like heroes to us, but they're really regular people. Paul, Peter, you know, Cornelius, these last, these last several weeks. You know, Aeneas, you know what happened with Peter and Aeneas and, and, and Tabitha and all these different things where we see people with the same mentality of giving God room or creating space for God to move in their life, but really also in their sphere, in the lives of other people. And so we talk about creating space and the value of it, um, but I wanted to kind of continue the ball rolling in that direction today. I have a couple stories that I want to talk about of what it means to make way for God in our life and to make room for him. And this is really um, the Christianese term, or so it's become, of what anointing is. That's what anointing is actually all about. Walking in anointing. Because we think of anointing of like talent. You know what I mean? Wow, that girl, she could really sing. You know, that guy could really play the drums or, you know, whatever. He's really anointed, you know. Um, and it can, it can kind of fit there, but our anointing is... is is our ability to create space in our life and to give room to the Lord and develop that in that space, that communion, that connection with Him to where we're like carriers of this eternal space that we walk around with, the King Himself. And so everywhere we go, it's almost like we're taking territory with us, heaven's territory with us. And that's really what anointing is. And, uh, you know, we think of it as, you know, in the Old Testament, when somebody was anointed to be king or priest, you know, they would, they would take oil and they would literally dump it on top of the head. It wasn't like, you ever seen those little bar, those little bottles of oil? They do that now, you know what I mean? That's the, that's the nice way, the gentle way to do it. But it's in the Old Testament, they're dumping that stuff on top of somebody's head to where it completely covers their body. And it was this symbolic act. If you anointed a king or, you know, it was like what you see is a person, you know, but this oil that's, that's covering their whole entire being is the spirit of, of God himself. And you can't see it because it's transparent. You still see their features. You still see their clothes. You, see, you know what I mean? But this is this prophetic act of like God is being poured over this person. So when you look at them, remember this. Even though you don't see it in the, in the natural, physically, that's what's there. You know? And now we have this, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it, and it sounds... It, sound, it can still sound kind of mystical, but it's so practical. The reality of the New Testament walk of walking by the Spirit of God is walking in the anointing. And it's not who was born, you know, on a full moon or like, you know, under the right, you know, circumstance. Or, you know, maybe you're, you had a minister in your family or your generations of ministers of the anointing passed to you, you know. Our anointing is our ability our, our, our will, our cultivation of that in that space to actually allow to be in relational walk with the Lord. And the level that we're walking with Him is the level of what true anointing actually looks like. And it causes us to do the uncommon with excellence. It doesn't matter what your secular job is because, you know, we don't believe in anything secular now. It doesn't matter what that is. It's like, but everything we lay our hands to is under the influence of the anointing to the degree that we're walking in relationship to God. And one of the, um, speaking of oil, one of the um, 
passages about this really quick in Matthew 25 is when Jesus is coming and trying to give descriptions of what heaven on earth looks like and what heaven looks like. And he says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps, their oil lamps, and went out to meet the bridegroom. And many of you have read this. I'll kind of cliff notes it. You can read it. It's, you know, 13 or 14 verses right here. But basically he says five of the virgins were wise and five of them were foolish. So it was a 50-50 split. Um, it says those who were foolish had no oil in their lamps, but the wise actually maintained having oil in their lamps. It says, while the bridegroom delayed and everybody slumbered, at midnight there was a cry heard, Behold, the bridegroom's coming, go out to meet him. Um, and all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, who had actually cultivated and kept, kept oil for the lamps, like, Hey, give me some of your oil. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there won't be enough for us and for you, but rather go yourself and actually buy some for yourself. Maybe there's enough time for you. The rest of the story goes, while, these, while the five actually went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. It says the door was shut, and afterwards the virgins, the other five, actually showed up, banging on the door, said, Lord, Lord, open it up to us, open it up to us. But he answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. That just sounds so savage to me. But Jesus is making a point here. He's like, I, we don't know each other. Watch therefore for, you neither know the day or the hour for the Son of Man is coming. Now, a few things here, a story with five wise, considered wise, and five that are considered foolish, and the only difference was some had been diligent to continually purchase oil to make sure they had it. You know, This caused, when the bridegroom came, the five to actually to be go to go in, and the other five to be on the outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth doesn't sound good, you know. Um, but it wasn't that the bridegroom boom boom boom. Hey, I'm sorry we're late. Let us in. You should have went and bought y'all some oil. You know what I mean? It sounds like such a you know. He's obviously making something very a parabolic statement because his quote right there is like, hey, we don't know each other. It's not that you're outside because you didn't do something. It's that we don't actually know one another. And so here, oil, and obviously that understanding um, of anointing and, and relational connection is, is, comes together with Jesus saying, hey, we don't actually know each other. And, you know, there's other things to this. You know, a lot of people think this is like, this is the five that get into heaven, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or the five go to hell. And, and that's not at all what's going on here. Um, there was some heads up that he was giving about something very traumatic that was going to happen in 67 A.D., and that is, I'm not for sure, but I'm, I'm about 98% sure that's what he's referring to, right? The destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but he is giving a heads up because it's like, hey, like the people that actually are, are, know the Lord will actually, they'll, they'll make their way into what he's leading them to. And it's a very, very practical and, and, and simple truth um, but it really don't, because there's two things when you think about what these girls have done as far as oil. It's like one, they've, if you think oil in a lamp or oil in a vessel, they've created space, which is what we're really talking about. So the two things from this passage and from others that we're talking is, is one, that that oil, the oil of the Lord or the anointing of God is actually relational, right? God, what was it last week? God shows 
you know, no indifference between people. So it's not like, well, I chose some to have this level and some to just be, you know, peasants. You know, it's like, it's like those who enter in relation, relationship with him. You know, there's a, there's a, a portion of scripture in the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I, I counsel to you to buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire. And, and the funny thing is, it's like, we don't have anything that's not his in this life. You know what I mean? So it's like, man, how am I going to buy something from you? You know, you have everything. And this is about parental inheritance that we're stepping into. But in reality, we do have something. We do have something that, that, that's not necessarily his unless we give it to him. And that is our time. And that is our space. That is our attention. You know what I mean? That is our, that is our heart and our relationship. But so yes, oil anointing, it, it obviously is relational and obviously as well, relationship comes from actually creating space in our heart and our mind with the Lord. I wanted to do these stories um, this week in the Old Testament from 2 Kings 4 because I feel like they actually really talk about what it means to be walking in the anointing, aka walking in this place of creating space. But it's, an, it's a very old story, obviously. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4 if you want to follow along. But considering oil, and this is a different, but this considering oil and anointing and relationship, this is the story of Elisha who is, if, you, you know, if, you've, if you've read some of this stuff, he's one of the baddest guys to ever walk the face of the earth, right? Elisha has, he's the guy, I think we did name in the Syrian uh, within the past couple of months, that was the guy you know, healed of leprosy after seven dips at this guy's word. He, he reversed things uh, like droughts. Um, he called some bears down to kill some, some bad guys. They were not just kids. They were bad guys. Uh, you know, there's more to that. But, you know, this guy was incredibly powerful. Um, he did magic things like causing an axe head to float in the Jordan River. Some of those stories, uh, you know, this guy was just an immense prophet. But in this story, you have this story about oil and this story about sonship and the story about relationship that is 2 Kings 4. Then I'm going to try to put it all together. We'll see if it works. But there was a woman whose husband used to be under him, under Elisha in the school of the prophets. And he, he passed away ahead of his time. And I'm not really even sure how it happened. But, but basically, she was a widow. And she comes to Elisha and she said, hey, you know, my husband's dead. And you know that he feared the Lord. But there's a creditor coming to take away both of my sons to be his slaves because we we're not able to pay for him. And uh, Elisha was like, hey, well, what do you want me to do? Tell me. He says, what, do you what is it that you do have in your house? Um, and she said, you know, I don't have anything except for one jar of oil. Um, was that a real East Texas way to say oil? Oil. So, okay, sorry. I just hear myself sometimes. So he says, go borrow, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors and empty the vessels and get, make sure that they're all empty and don't even just gather a few. Gather as many as you possibly can. And when you've come into your house, shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and then pour that oil that you do have into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him that, you know, if, if you see what's going on, you have one jar of oil, it's maybe, maybe valuable, but man, he says, go to all your neighbors as much as you can, Try to get as many vessels from everybody, empty vessels that you possibly can into your house, not just a few. In other words, like you can't get enough. Get as many as possible. And when you do, pour what you do have out into one of them and then two of them and then three of them. And, and, and 
and, and she catches on and shut the door. So I don't know what that's about, but um, it would be interesting someday to see how that actually popped off and what the sons and what the mom were acting like when this worked. You know what I mean? But um, it came to pass that when the vessels were full, she told her sons, get me some more vessels. And they're like, there is no more. This is, this is, this is as much as we've got. And so as soon as, as soon as they were done pouring into that oil or into that vessel, the oil ceased. She came and told the man of God. She came and told Elisha. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, you and your sons. You guys can live on the rest. You know, it's a really brilliant story. It's really interesting. But it's like, here's a, also a picture of anointing of somebody's like, what is it that you do have? Like, this is, this is all I've got. And he's like, well, what, it's not about what you have so much is about your ability to create space to receive the kingdom. Kind of John the Baptist-ish. Uh, like it's like, you know, make way in the wilderness. Make way where there is nothing. Create room and heaven comes into that room. Heaven comes into that space, you know. Creating time and space for God to actually move. And so here she is connecting to the voice of God. That's Elisha, you know, the prophet in this, in this instance. And according to his voice, the word of the Lord, she actually creates space in her life. And what that actually ends up happening is it breathes abundance in her life and gets her out of a, a major, major catastrophe of lo losing her sons. But this next story coming right after that is what I... What I I really love because it's, it's right on the heels of that first story. She comes and tell, it says, but it happens one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat food. So the lady tells her husband, look, there's this man of God that passes by all the time. Why don't we create space for him? Let's make, an, let's make an upper room on the wall of our property and let's put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can actually turn in there. So right on the heels of this miraculous thing that he does for this woman who's about to lose her son, he meets another woman on his daily travels doing whatever it was that he, he d does as a prophet and the leader of the school of the prophets and all these things that this lady from Shunem actually... I, I like the way it persuaded him to eat some food. She valued the voice of the Lord. She valued Elisha. She was married, so it wasn't like she was like trying to holler at him or there wasn't any strings attached or anything like that, but she wanted to sow into him. She wanted to bless the, you know, the one who carried the voice of the Lord in those days. So she talks to her husband to actually, not only did they have him for dinner all the time, but they created space for them in their very house. And see, right here, we have another parabolic, if we can look at this story as literal, but also look at it as a prophetic, a prophetic reality for us to step into, because that's what it says right in Romans 15, that these things were all written for us. They were all written for us, all these stories. They're literal and they're real, but they're written for us to see something as those who are followers of the Lord and to you know, practically implement them to our life. And so here this woman makes this room for him, right? And, and they've created space and it says one night when, when Elisha's there, he's, he's sitting up in his room. And I guess there was also another bed or a cot there for Gehazi, which was like his servant. And um, he's, he's like, call the Shunammite woman and ask her, like, is there anything I can do for you? So she, he's like, hey, you know, Elisha wants to know, is there anything he can do? Like, he can talk to the king. He can do, like, this guy has major pull, 
you know. And um, she answered and she said, I dwell amongst my own people. Like, basically said, I'm, I'm content and I'm happy. Like, there's no string attached to this. To this. Like, I'm, we're just doing this to bless you. Like, you don't need to pull any strings for me. Like, you don't need to talk to the king. You don't need to do anything on my behalf. Like, I'm just doing this because she's honoring the word of the Lord. And uh, it's really beautiful. So it says in verse 14, so I guess she walked off and, and, and Elisha looks at Gehazi like, well, well, what can we do for her? You can see his, his heart was stirred like, man, these people are so good to us. And I can imagine him sitting there on his bed with his hands crossed and Gehazi like, she don't want me to do nothing for her. <laughs> nothing. Like, oh man, these people are so nice. Like, man, what? think about it. What can we do? We got to do something for these people, you know? Gazi says, actually, in verse 14, she has no son and her husband's old. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And um, when she said that, I, he was like, oh, really? Call her. You know, call her. So when he had called her, she comes and stands in the doorway. And she's like, yes, what is it? You know, <laughs> and he says, about this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. Just Boom. Like, I got something that's going to get you, that's going to, you know. And it's such a beautiful story, which, of course, she says, she's like, no, my Lord, no man of God, do not lie to your maidservant, which in our, you know, King, you know, peasant Daniel's version would be like, don't mess with me. If, if that's real, great, but don't, don't tease me now, because that's, that's really a desire of her heart, obviously, you know. So it says, you know, the woman conceived and she bore a son at a point of time when Elisha had told her and the child grew and it happened um, one day that he went out with his father to the reapers, you know. And so you have this story that seems like, okay, and they were happily ever after. And that's just a really cool story. But um, uh, the son actually goes out and dies when he's a little kid. Spoiler alert, if you're, you know, it's like there's a little drama in this, in, this, in this movie. He goes out with the reapers and he starts to have a really bad headache and you know, his dad brings him back into mom and she's got kind of sits him on her knees like, what's wrong, little buddy? So I would imagine he's, you know, three, four, five. I'm not sure. He's a kid. And then he passes away. And it's like, man, this is traumatic. But it's interesting what happens in verse 21. This woman, this Shunammite lady, she goes up and she lays him on the bed of God, on the bed of Elisha that she actually created for at her house. And she shut the door and she went out. So her kid passed away, but she went and set him in the same room where she had created for Elijah. And this is beautiful, man. If you, once we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dive into it. But she calls her husband and says something. Send me one of the young men and the donkeys that I can run to the man of God and come back. I've, I'm going after him this time. I'm not waiting for him to stop by our house. But her husband says something like, why are you going to him today? It's not the new moon and it's not the Sabbath. You know. So here you have a mentality. Here you have, you know, dressed in your Sunday's best mentality. This is the difference between the wise versions and the foolish versions in the anointing story. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, like, we only, that connection, that walk, that life, it's not even that special time of year. It's not the Sabbath. It's not our, the, the American Sunday. You know what I mean? This isn't our church day. It's not the day we get spiritual. It's not one of the new moons. We can't go get to the prophet. It's not a mystical time. This isn't, but this woman, excuse me, is a full timer. She's like the wise virgin, virgins. 
She's the one that maintains the oil in her lamp. It's like the times and the days and the seasons, like I'm, I'm, not, on a, I'm not on some calendar that waits for my connection with God to ask him why something happened. I live in the present with God. You know what I mean? My oil is full. And, and, and <laughs> I don't know what this means. It's, she said, it is well. You know, it's, you know, that's my wife. My, my daughters actually tell me this. It's fine, dad. So I think that, <laughs> why are you going to him? It's fine. Like I'm going, you know, you can't just go. To, it's fine. It's well. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and, and don't, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she's got the crack in the whip. It's time to go. She departed, her baby's, her boy is, is dead, her only son, yeah. only child, laying on a bed in her house. Rigor mortis, you know. She departed and went to, the, went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Hazi, look, the Shunammite's coming. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. That's confusing to me. He sees her from afar off. I don't know if this is prophetically or, if he, or physically because they're on a mountain. And he's like, get down there and ask her if it's okay. And when he comes by, hey, is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. Boom, pass. I'm out. I'm not here to talk to you. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, it's okay. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. So she dove down and grabbed him by his ankles, by his feet. But the man of God said, or it says Gehazi came to push her away. So he was going to come kick her off because he was his guard, basically. And he says, stop, Gehazi. Like, you know, leave her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me because he's not told me. That's, that's another brilliant thing because now this isn't about the relationship of, of the woman to the go-between prophet to God. This is about the relationship of the woman and God himself. There's something going on with them that God's not actually told me. I'm not the go-between. Something's happening with them. And I love that. Imagine you know, the prophetic ministry you know, coming back to that standard in the new covenant to the level of like if something, if you don't know something, it's because God hasn't shown it to you. You know, this man had the ability to see things that were happening in the king of Syria's bedroom, it says. I think in the next chapter or two. You know what I mean? Like this, this guy, Elisha, was so sharp. He was, he was different, man. Um, but he couldn't see it. So she says to him, did I not ask for a son? Did I not say, don't mess with me about this? Don't deceive me. You know? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anybody, don't even greet them. Take my staff and lay it on the face of the child. <laughs> and then mama jumps in and says, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to leave you. So he arose and bought her. In other words, she told Elisha, like, no, no, you're actually coming. This isn't about Gehazi, take the staff. Like, you're coming with me. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, I know. It's just it's like, it's a women's conference a little bit. You know, I was like, man, it's like the Shunammite. Make a big poster about it, you know, how they do conferences. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, so Gehazi lays ahead, goes ahead of them and, and, and he does what 
he does what you know Elisha told him, puts the staff on the, on the kid, but you know nothing really happens. Um, but it says when Elisha comes into the house, there was a child lying on his bed. He went in there for, and he shut the door behind the two of them, and he began to pray. How familiar does these things sound? Mm-hmm. And he went up and he laid on the child, put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands, stretched him out over the child who was breathing on the kid. And it says his flesh started to become warm. Then he returned and he walked back and forth in the house again. Then he went back up to his, to his room, the Lord's room, because it wasn't his room. It was the Lord's. She, she had created space for the Lord in her life, in her house. Says when he did it again, the child sneezed seven times. How how scared do you think that that he was when that happened to him? <laughs> You're laying on a dead body and start sneezing, repulsive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Imagine just watching that. Maybe we will sometime. Maybe we do a little bit right now. But it's like yikes! That that'd be startling. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And then he called Gehazi and said, "Hey, call the you know Shunammite woman." So she called her and. And she came back to him. She said, all right, come. He's, here he is. She went and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground and picked up her son and went out. Raised that boy up. You know what I mean? And it's just so beautiful to me because here you have Elisha, this, this, this prophet, the one who carries the voice of God in the old covenant. You know, it's, it's like, you know, we, we say things that are so important, all, the, all these Old Testament scriptures that reveal what we're supposed to be walking in here and now. Especially like the Joel 2 one, especially for this. It shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. So it's like, even on your men servants and your maid servants, it's like, boys, girls, young, old, doesn't matter who they are, anointed or not, the anointing is going to be on the inside, and everybody has the opportunity to cultivate it in their life. And we cultivate it in our life and it grows in us like we're carrying a lamp full of oil or a vessel or jar full of oil to the point where we have a whole room full of oil. And the room is proverbial. It doesn't mean that we have our house. That's our prayer room. And it's like, oh my gosh, when something goes bad, you know, drag somebody into that room. Now that's what's happening here. But this is something for us to see that we're carriers of this room in our vessel. You know what I mean? And Here's a woman honoring the Lord's voice in the only way that she could under that old inferior covenant, and ish, you know, ish, you know but honoring it in the way that she could, that she knew, I should say, in that covenant, and creating space for the Lord because she valued no strings in her heart. You know, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. But it's not, it's not seek first the kingdom, and you'll get the things that you want. You know, it's seek the first, delight yourself in the Lord, make Him your first priority, the delight of your heart, the wonder of your life. And he gives you the desires of your heart. He places them there. All these things you need will be added to you. All this, so you see this, this, this kind of very, very um, congruent message of alignment with God in the Bible, you know? And it's relational with him, which is like spending time connecting to him. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he directs your path, right? Proverbs 3, it's like all these things are just like, is a gentle and kind God who's our dad saying, hey, I I care about even the mundane aspects of your life, being with you even in that, you know? And so you have this woman who's cultivating this stuff and because she's created space, you know, the kingdom of heaven actually comes into that space 
She's created a portal, a portal of heaven, if you can see it that way, in that room. That's where heaven, heaven and earth would come and touch because the voice of the Lord was there. She didn't fully grasp it, how to access it, and what that all meant. And she was going to force Elisha's you know, hand in there. But I think so many times this oil of anointing that everyone wants to grow and everyone is called to, and don't let the, the A word um, turn us off here, you know what I mean? Because I know we can, anointing, and it's, it's, sometimes that can be a trigger for some people that have been in this game for a while, this life. But it's like the anointing means our, our connection and our connectivity and the power and authority that we have to manifest heaven in even the practical aspects of our life, you know, in the simplicity of our relational connections to other people as well, you know. And so often it's just like, you know, I, I want the anointing or I, I, want, I want the next step or, I, you know, I don't want to be left out, the weeping and gnashing of teeth and all these things. There, there's, there's aspects to it, but in reality, the anointing was there amongst, uh, imagine if you just break the stories down, even the first one to the point where like, these are me pouring what I do have, the little that I feel like that I do have, but using that to pour into the vessels of my neighbors. Jesus is like, well, who's your neighbor? Like, you know, who's not my neighbor? You know what I mean? It's like, but I want my anointing to grow. I want my authority. I want, I want to know the right people. I want to have the right connections or networks. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, like the neighbors of those who are around you, you pour into those, it causes your anointing. It causes your life and your flow to grow. When we get our eyes off ourselves and we start to realize the value of our connection to God and letting it seep everywhere we go, that's where we level up. You know what I mean? I also like this story, too, because, you know, I said it's like, well, first it's a happily ever after, you know what I'm saying? Never mind, then the sun dies, you know what I mean? And then, oh, it is happily ever after, he gets raised. But, you know, I think it's like three chapters after this, in chapter 8, Elisha, because it's like he stays at their house like a hotel, like a and b he comes to them and says, hey, there's actually a famine that's coming to the land for seven years. So it's like, eee, that's that's kind of tough. So you guys need to move and go go to a certain place. And it says they moved and they, they moved the Shunammite woman and her husband and the little boy moved for seven years into like the land of the Philistines, which doesn't sound good, you know. But seven years later, after the famine was over, they actually came back to their property, to their land, to the place where they lived. And, and this is, you can read this story in 2 Kings 8. But when they came back to town in order to get their property, because they'd been gone for seven years, and people were probably squatted on it and, and whatever else. Um, you know, you couldn't just leave your stuff and, and get it back. She sought an audience with the king so that she could come and, and hopefully they could talk to the king. It's like, hey, we have a good amount of land here. Can we, can we have it back? We've abandoned it seven years ago, but it's because they were following the word of the Lord. It's this beautiful, it's so hilarious to me because... In 2 Kings 8, verse 4, it says, Gehazi, the servant from, <laughs> of Elisha, this is, you know, golly, seven years later, is actually there with the king telling him stories about Elisha. And it says the king's like, well, tell me more stories about Elisha. Like, it was like entertaining to him. So Gehazi was there that day that she happened to be coming back to town, hoping to get an audience with the king, hoping to get their land back. <laughs> you know what I mean? So random, but so brilliant. And he's telling him, like, yeah, man, I saw that axe head, man, it float. He's like, it floated? What? He threw a stick, man. I'm telling you, it just started floating. You know, he's telling these stories. And when he gets to the one about the sun that he laid, he's like, dude, it was crazy. He sneezed seven times. I've never seen Elisha pop up so fast. You know, it says when he was telling him this, that story about that boy, that's when she walked in with her family. 
which is like so hilarious and random, you know? And they walk in like hoping like, oh my gosh, I hope we have our land back. And they're like, and Gazi's like, King, that's, that's the lady. That's the boy. <laughs> and he's like, really? You guys, that was you guys? Little fella? You know, I mean, I don't know. He might've been 13, 14 by then. I, I don't know how, you know, but, you know, he's still a kid, but it was like, so you sneezed seven times. What was that about? I don't know, man. You know, you know, he's talking to them. They're like, well, what, what is it? What brought you here today? He's like, well, we actually just came back and we're kind of hoping to have our land back. We have property here. We have land. And, and he says, Absolutely. It says, when the king asked the woman, in verse 6, and she told him the story, he anointed a certain officer and said, restore all that was hers and the proceeds of the feed of the field as well for the last seven years. Um, so he, he gives her a military crew to actually go and remove any squatters or take any, you know, maybe the government probably seized it or whatever, but it's like, hey, this is theirs now. Make it official. And they're restored back. You know what I mean? So, you know, it kind of works too if you're, if you're, a, if you're one of those kind of end time, we're in the last days, doom and gloom. If you're one of those people, um, probably wouldn't last around here very long. But if, you're, if, you're, if you are one of those, um, look at that. You know what I mean? It's like the parable of the, the five wise. Even if the stuff was going to hit the fan and everything is going down, it's just like the ones who cultivated the anointing had the relationship to him. They went right in the door. They weren't on the weeping and gnashing of teeth side. You dig? You know? And this woman, the Shunammite, who actually literally connected to him and actually valued the word of the Lord and actually created space in her life and in her house and out of her sustenance for, for God, really. She got, a, she got a heads up before a famine was coming and got out of Dodge for seven years. And it didn't cost her. She actually made money on it when she came back. And everything was restored, and, and she got whatever value that it did produce, which probably wasn't as much as normal, but she got it all, and whatever they were doing. And so here you got somebody just with a divine heads up, we'll be here for a while now, now we'll be here for a while. You know what I mean? Just this brilliant walk of somebody who walks, excuse me, in this real life connection to the Lord that we call anointing, which is really just a word for connection you know the level of our anointing is direct is in direct correlation to the level of our relational connection to god Amen. that's just what it is jesus would talk and they would be like this isn't like the scribes this ain't like the scribes <laughs> there's something different he's reading the same scrolls but there was something different there why because he he was them you know but it's like we have the ability to live this life with him that will be contagious to everyone we meet. Will it work? Yeah. Will it work out? Work things out in our life? Yeah. But there was one thing I was thinking, and I don't feel I fully have the grasp on it. There's a few ideas in my mind that it's like when you think of Elisha and these two stories that are in the same chapter, or at least the, the chapter four, before you go to the famine story in chapter eight with this lady. But it's like both of these women, it comes to this dramatic point of the loss of sonship you know my sons are going to take and they're going to be slaves and then the other one's like i've lost my son you know what i mean and and there's uh, you know there's definitely several ways it can go there's nothing more to a parent's heart you know especially in this walk there's such a strong yearning in heart especially parents of older kids that have connected to the lord but then they've kind of gone away or whatever 
for them to actually come back to the Lord. And, and so that kind of fits, but I think even more than that, there's something to the restoration of sonship that we call because of the Son, because of the Lord Jesus, what He's done, what He's come and actually walked. He's come and He's done something that's, that's reversed everything, that's brought us right in back relationship with Abba, with Him, you know. And there's something to this, this reality that everything God does is, is reconnecting us and realigning us with Himself. And everything that He has done, really, thousand years back, 2,000 years ago, was actually paving the way completely for us to walk and step into this level of connection with Him as a son and a father, to walk in that inheritance, because it will bleed through our life. And it will touch everyone. Like, heaven will touch everyone. Somebody who's walking with the Lord is extremely contagious. Extremely contagious with them, you know. And contagious is the only word I can think of, and it sounds gross because you think of sickness, but you guys, you catch what I'm throwing, you know. You, 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 you know, yeah, it's like they're extremely contagious. And, and even this week is like, as I was praying for you guys, as I often do, um, just several of you specifically kept coming to my mind. You know what I mean? Several, you know, a few dozen of you, just your, your, your person, your, your life. It's like almost like I was praying and it was like stretched out like a scroll in front of me. And um, just praying the heart of the Lord for you. And I felt this, I felt this, um, let's see, I was, I, was, I was asking for the good things of the Lord that He wants to give unto you, you know? And I was even trying to come into agree, in agreement with Him for the release of those desires of your hearts. And, and, but what I felt led to pray was that the path would be cleared for you to be able to release, to receive all that He has for you, to, that He wants to give you if that makes any sense. And it's, it wasn't so much I was praying, I asked this person to really step into this, and I asked for this person to really come into this. It, it was kind of like that. Um, but I could sense the Father's heart is so complete and totally wanting to give His sons and daughters the things of the kingdom. Everything that's in their desires, the relationships, the restorations, the, the, the positions, both in secular, spiritual, you know, all these different things. Um, so it wasn't like I'm pleading for him to do something he wants to do, but why isn't he doing it kind of thing. It's this, but as I was, I was praying, I felt that, that, that he was wanting to clear the path of those things that actually get in the way of us being able to receive and even to hold on to the things that he wants us to have, if that makes any sense. And I was just kind of thinking about that. And something that I wrote as I was praying that earlier this week was, I felt that when people are faithful to foster their connection to Him, to habitually create relational space, that He seeks to shine light on or even to address the things relationally that end up having a major strategic purpose in creating the pathway for those good things to be released into their lives. Does that make sense? It's like He's wanting to create mature hearts and understanding hearts and people that are whole. He wants to lead us in wholeness so that the things that He desires to give us, we can actually receive and hold on to without it destroying us <laughs> or, or without us, you know, rejecting it, thinking it was something else. You know what I'm saying? And it's like the brilliance of the good heart of, of, of the Father. And what I feel like my job is a lot of times, even in these stories and in teaching the Bible, is to 
create a, an awareness for one of the value of the, the true connection we can all have with them, but also to create a hunger within people of like, this isn't just for the talking head on the microphone or somebody that's special. This is actually basic Christianity and it's for me. And the purposes and destiny of the Lord and of the kingdom, they have nothing, they don't necessarily even have to do with this church or, you know, this town or, you know, all the above. There, there is those things, but it's like this happens to do with my father wanting to lead me into all truth and wanting to raise me as a son or a daughter who shines and connects people to him. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the goal. That's, that's the goal in basically all the teaching that you'll hear here. The majority of it is to, to come into this understanding of what Jesus has actually paid for and how, how willing he is to give us those things that we're looking at. But sometimes, they're not all the, sometimes all the time, there's this, this heart of faithfulness to cultivate this connection with him that only he can give, you know, um, which is always leading us into those things which he puts into our hearts. Sometimes it might look differently than, it, than we thought, you know what I mean? But the Lord is wanting to promote. He is wanting to grow. He is wanting His people to thrive. He's wanting to, His people, you know, humble, your hand, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. That's not about being exalted and being better than people. It's like getting to a position so that you can raise people up. You know what I mean? That's what He wants for us. Not to hide, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not to covet some oil so that when the stuff goes down, at least we get in. <laughs> you know what I mean? This fearful mentality. It's like he wants his people to arise and shine and thrive. Amen. And we're called to be the most anointed people in the world, the only anointed people. That's what Christianity is, you know? So, well, Lord, I thank you for your heart for us all. Restoring sonship, you know, raising the dead, Lord. I even ask for that childlike faith to be stirred amongst us, to be stirred amongst everybody that hears the sound of my voice. Um, even if there's things you want to address where maybe disappointment or disillusionment or something like that's come in that's actually kind of got people's hope broke in a sense, that we would be a people of profound hope and expectancy and that we would understand the value of our connection to you and what it means to make space and create time, create space in you and for you and that you will fill it. Lord, we, we want your name exalted. It has been, it is, you know, it's been kind of drug out through the mud, Lord, and we don't, we're not interested in churchianity, you know. We're, we're interested in, in you, the Christ, being lifted up for all to see through our life, Lord. And so we just say, we, we welcome everywhere in the scriptures, the ways you speak. We thank you for your written, written word, which is your word being illuminated to us all this week as we spend time with you, as we read, as we pray. We thank you for the dreams and visions and, and trances and visitations and divine connections and appointments that you have for us that are all the aspects of New Testament Christianity. And we choose to have our eyes open, Lord, and see everything you've done and are doing in the world. Amen.